This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, Ramesh, earlier you talked about uh, four um, key areas of the world where things are happening. Why don't we review what those are, and then and then we can take a look at, at why those areas are significant. Right. I was addressing the systemic, political, social, uh, economic uh, differences of very proximate areas. For example, North Korea and South Korea, within the space of six to 60 kilometers, you have two entire systems. Both came out of the war. For example, South Korea was uh, among the poorest countries of the world coming out of the uh, war, and now it's in the top 15. And Hmm. uh, the same people, same dynamics, same entrepreneurialism, same commitment, same language, same culture, but uh, how sociopolitical systems make a difference uh, the other one I visited was about uh, uh, Eastern and Western Germany. Mm-hmm. On one side where the uh, rubber band uh, put together Trabants, as you recall, Daryl, you've been there several times, and of course West Germany had these most beautiful uh, late model Mercedes Benzes. Again, one uh, people, uh, just the sociopolitical system uh, kept them abreast. I, I think it's important to appreciate about about that because I've, I have spent four sabbaticals in Germany. I've watched West Germany rebuild for almost from scratch East Germany. But the other thing that people don't appreciate is that East Germany is almost a bridge and a window into Eastern Europe and into Asia. And so it's a very strategic part of the world. Yes. And also, Western Germany needed Eastern Germany for the sheer population population numbers. Mm-hmm. There's, it was a sitting on a demographic time bomb. You need something like 2.1 babies for every woman of childbearing age mm-hmm. for population to remain stable. Mm-hmm. Indonesia, for example, grows 25 times the speed of Western Germany. So Western Germany actually was doing herself a favor mm-hmm. in, in absorbing Eastern Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third uh, area uh, we can talk about is the China-Hong Kong line. Mm-hmm. I've just been there in the last couple of weeks. Uh, uh, China, Hong Kong uh, has said uh, they've had a relationship over the years, especially uh, uh, now classified as a strategic administrative region. Uh, Hong Kong Chinese consider to a part of themselves a part of China, and yet they have to keep themselves distinct because of their economic systems. Of course, Hong Kong is the world's m- most expensive property, mm-hmm. uh, real estate property in the world, and you can see two systems having uh, demarcated the advancement of, of uh, material economic progress, like the um, uh, stark as it can possibly be. A fourth area, I would say, is what may be called the outright area South Africa mm-hmm. over against the rest of Africa. Mm-hmm. South Africa uh, is, is the richest country inside the, inside the continent. Uh, again, uh, it was uh, a, a system that was oppressive and uh, built on uh, uh, a wrong view of Scripture where they found the Canaanites being everybody else except those who dominated the socio-political economic system. 
And it's one good reason why we need to say that there's a radical break at the cross, that there's an entire new people of God that have been put together and in a, in a concretely tight continuation theology. Mm-hmm. You, you'll start mixing up the people of God with the with the Israel of God throwing out the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. And that I actually had an Anglican uh, pastor in in uh, Cape Town express deep appreciation with Dallas Seminary for keeping the peoples of God uh, not uh, just continuous, but there was enough discontinuity between um, uh, the, the Israel of old and, and the people of God now. And so that's another socioeconomic demographic reality, uh, except now uh, the entire southern African region, while it is more economically more prosperous than the rest, is seeing the same heart of man in its corruption and its wickedness taking over. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to do a two-level kind of work, address the health of the church, but the health of the church really impacts the health of the communities. And so if we can address the help of the pastor, which addresses the health of the church, which addresses the health of the community, uh, we can make material difference. Now, it's interesting because the one area that you didn't mention that is another area of major Christian growth and activity, of course, is Latin America, which is its own uh, story because if you if you go there, the thing that's interesting about traveling in Latin America is with the heavily – um, Catholic presence is is talking about spiritual things in that part of the world is actually very easy to do um, because there is a, uh, a pervasive religiosity to the culture that that uh, has a deep impact and yet um, and yet the faith is also growing in that part of yes, the world unbelievably so for example the fastest growing uh, area region of the world is parts of uh, Rio de Janeiro mm-hmm. uh, outside. Uh, um, the great great city of Rio, mm-hmm. uh, something like nine thousand pastors uh, exist. Mm. It's unbelievable, but they don't have training. Yes, Latin America is a powerful story, and you you hit on something very important. Asia, especially, does not have the same worldview mm-hmm. heritage that the Roman Catholic missional enterprise gave to Latin America. Mm-hmm. So when we go into Latin America, we don't have as big a bridge mm-hmm. from their worldview to the gospel mm-hmm. coming to the Lord Jesus, especially because they have some view of a distant God, a God who's transcendent. They've got the wrong mediation processes, mm-hmm. but it's not as big a, a jump from from a Latin American Roman Catholic worldview into the gospel. So these, so these different areas of the world come with different uh, backgrounds, different if technical language, sociological language. I guess is um, religious pre-understandings, which uh, then have to, in which the sharing of the gospel has to has to deal with those. So, for example, in Asia, you've got the background of. Hinduism, Buddhism, in some cases Islam, mm-hmm. and uh, you also have a lot of uh, popular religion that's built around family, uh, family worship. I don't know what other words to use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Latin America, you've got the Roman Catholic situation. Uh, Africa is completely different. It's more uh, a populist and animistic kind of religious experience. So sharing the gospel in these parts of the world is, even though the message that you're delivering is the same, the way in which it's being heard and has to be processed is different. Is is that right? Uh, uh, This is very, very important in all our strategies, especially for evangelism and church planting and training. 
the worldview, religion, culture, uh, what I call the human matrix of every person, every group, significantly affects their reception of the faith. So if I went into a Hindu worldview and talked about uh, the, the matter of birth and being born again, their understanding of being born again is heavily influenced by the baggage they bring uh, in terms of reincarnation. You can be born again and again and again and again. <laughs> if you go into an Islamic worldview and talk about God sending his one and only son, they read it biologically mm -hmm. in terms of reproduction, how humans reproduce. So they very easily slip into God, Mary, and, and Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if you go into a Buddhist worldview in their non-theistic, maybe atheistic uh, view of reading reality, uh, while pursuing principles, you have to keep pressing them on these matters as to where they get the foundations for their principles if they don't hold to a foundational uh, reality of God at all. So in a what may be called a plus five to minus five spectrum, uh, you've got to identify how close their human matrix is to the gospel matrix that we present. Okay, you need to explain that matrix because most people may not know what plus or minus five is. is all right, let's say uh, zero is this point of conversion. Okay. And the minus Four mm -hmm. uh, would be nominal Christianity. Mm -hmm. People who have grown up with the Christian faith, they are aware of God, they're aware of the gospel, they're aware of the cross, uh, the Christian heritage that they have doesn't make them a Christian. They still have to embrace the, uh, the salvation message, but they're nominal Christians. A minus three are those who may be theists, but not Christian theists. Mm -hmm. Theists believe in a God, but they don't uh, hold to the God of the Bible. But this is the way people who do evangelism and mission work uh, talk about kind of where their audience is, right? This, this is a spectrum. basic audience analysis. Yeah. yeah. A minus two would be uh, people of other religions who are not theists at all, like the pantheists of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and then maybe a minus one of those who are, uh, who are atheists. And so the lower agnostic. the number, the further away you are. And more the work need to be done. For example, in your work, Daryl, mm -hmm. you're finding that the minus two, minus three are very common categories, but in America used to be simply a minus four deal. That's right. And all of your writing, all of your media presence, you're able to bridge, moving them from, let's say, a minus two to a minus three, which also means that our success rate in evangelism and how we measure success needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would like to just measure the minus four to zero. Mm -hmm. Everybody's really excited and Did happy. Did someone get converted? That's correct. Yeah. But for you and me to have moved somebody from a minus two with a little bit of seed sowing, a little bit of reorientation to a minus three, that's just as significant because he's well on the road mm -hmm. uh, towards the embrace of salvation. On the plus side, a plus one, let's say, is a new believer, mm -hmm. brand new believer. Uh, plus two uh, is somebody who goes to church regularly. Uh, plus three is a leader in a church. Plus four is a seminary student or a Bible college plus student. Plus five is Jesus Christ. And, no, just uh, kidding. Well, <laughs> plus five uh, is probably a martyr for the faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or a missionary uh, yeah. for the faith. So we want to take the minus side of it very much into consideration while we're presenting Christ. I've suggested elsewhere a strategy when we go into those minus three and, uh, and beyond. I'd like to suggest that uh, there are four touch points of the gospel that you cannot start with God loves you and mm -hmm. has a great plan for you when they have a different view of God, different view of plan, different view of sin, 
And those are very good when it comes to, to nominal Christians. They understand uh, mm-hmm. what God is and who God is in the sense that we, we understand. So I, I ask for first what may be called an apologetic of life. Mm-hmm. But Christianity is not one idea versus another idea. It's life on life. It's mm-hmm. lived out. This, uh, the transformed life, which is so engaging and attractive and winsome to the unbeliever. We know, for example, yesterday I was with some friends from Iran. And in addition to all the visions and the dreams that people are seeing in the most unusual ways, this man made a case that a supernaturally transformed life inside a family is the most powerful testimony to the family, hmm. a sustained witness of Christ, and they are drawn drawn to the faith that changed lives. So the apologetic of life. And so I would ask uh, every Christian, especially as they live with their neighbors from other backgrounds, and they're all over us, 30-some uh, million of, of America now is foreign-born. And they come from majority areas where the faith is not, the Christian faith is not the majority faith. But they've come here with entrepreneurial zeal, some degree of seeking. Some of them get more fanatical and reinforced in their old faith since they're there. They're here. They've been alerted and warned in the countries, watch out for these Christians who will convert you. But basic aspects of uh, hospitality and helps in the celebration of, uh, of uh, seasons, of um, you know, the, the f- times when they're in need, helping them with driver's licenses, to, uh, to having them inside your home, saying uh, a, a prayer of blessing over a meal, those are all brand new to them. So uh, that, that really reflects what the Lord Jesus says. Let your light so shine before human beings so that they, observing you, will glorify your Father in heaven, your good mm-hmm. works. Uh, Peter makes the same case. Keep your behavior excellent among the non-believers so that on account of your behavior, they'll glorify God on the day of visitation. So it's sort the, of a subversive strategy, but mm-hmm. just as important. So the point that you're making is, is that what is applying to some degree and what's going on around the world is also kind of coming to our own doorstep in a very real way. And having some awareness of what the global options are is important. Yes, and historically, for 200 years, this is the 200th year or so, uh, right after America sent the first missionary overseas. Now, all the people that we sent missionaries to are now our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And our entire country is built on an immigration platform, so let's harness it and and, uh, see it as an opportunity for the harvest. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more. So global engagement then, to think about it this way, isn't just a matter of thinking about what's going on elsewhere in the world, but it's also thinking about how the world has come to us. That's correct. And uh, uh, the majority minorities and the minority majorities, the shifts there, it, it takes a heart that needs to be wider 
because the deep love of Christ inside your life wanting to reach out to them so that we're not stereotyping and categorizing people from all over the world as belonging to one kind of philosophy of life. So that's the first, the apologetics of life. Life on life is the most powerful, dynamic, basic Christian love. Love is uniquely Christian because we have somebody who loved us and we can base this on a cross that demonstrates unconditional love. The second uh, apologetic tactic or method uh, is what I'm going to call the apologetic of word. A lot of people directly go into conflict and contesting others' views of themselves rather than having established the groundwork of the right to be heard. Mm -hmm. But uh, no life is perfect enough, no life is good enough to, to in itself carry the gospel, so there has to be a word component looking for opportunities in order to sow um, you know, a seed here, a prayer there, a, a wish for them, and really, really wanting their good, mm-hmm. uh, their ultimate good, even though they don't particularly see their felt need right now. And that's a, you know, good old basic proclamation of the mm-hmm. gospel. So the apologetic of word. The next level, not only apologetic of life and the apologetic of word, I'm going to call the apologetic of reason. Too many apologists get to reason first. Mm -hmm. There's an old Indian proverb which goes, you don't cut off a man's nose and give him a rose to smell. (laughs) We try to do that of the Lord Jesus all the time. Here is this amazing uh, gift of eternal uh, life that we can give to people, and then we destroy them in the process Mm -hmm. of contest and debate. Uh, when all you're doing is first establishing the groundwork of relationship, then presenting gently and, and straightforwardly, but gently, uh, the claims of the gospel, and then, of course, the reason for the hope that is in you. Mm-hmm. I think there's good um, pattern and, and precept inside the book of Acts for all of these three. Mm. Uh, you're the expert in the book of Acts, so you might want to weigh in on this, but the apologetic of reason. And the, the, the number of times it says Paul reasoned, Paul persuaded, Paul even argued uh, with, with those audiences. And the classic uh, you know, difference is Peter and Paul approaching both the Jews and the Gentiles mm-hmm. start at different starting points and, and worldview premises to present the gospel. At this point, after building life, word, and reason, I actually invite them uh, to consider Christ. I did this last uh, Saturday in New York. Mm. Uh, we're about 400 at a, at a very fine event. Uh, that's a point of deep uh, fear and anxiety when you're asking them to trust Christ, and yet when you lay out a, an invitation, people trust Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to add a fourth layer to this, the apologetic method, call it the apologetic of meaning. It's just old-fashioned discipleship. It's like uh, you know, finding a new pair of glasses. Your prescription has changed. You go to the optician. He gives you a new pair of glasses. It takes you a little while before you get used to the new pair of glasses because you've been so ingrained into your, into, uh, your former uh, habits and practices, and, and a good discipleship grows them into vital, vibrant um, servants of Christ. Okay. Well, you've talked about mission. Let's talk a little bit about um, the nature of, of some of the issues that we see um, globally. And I think the way I want to get at this is to say, um, what is different, uh, and, and maybe it's a sociological question of sorts, um, what is different about sharing the gospel in Asia, in Latin America, in, in Europe and in Africa? In other words, what about the way people live and about those cultures? And I realize it's a broad question. 
But uh, uh, for, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate it. In Latin America, I, I for years taught a course with Danny Carroll, who teaches Old Testament at, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. at Denver. Classmate of both of us. That's right, and who uh, has spent time in Guatemala teaching at, at Sateca. And we used to take our students down and teach a course on on hermeneutics and, and theology down there. And the assignment for the North American students was to say, if you lived in this culture, what issues would you be sensitive to that you tend not to be as sensitive to in North America because you're living here? And uh, and it was kind of an eye-opening question because it, because it made them think about how they express their theology, what imagery do they use, that kind of thing. And of course, the thing that stood out was the poverty that is so transparent in much of the culture um, required that certain passages that they tend perhaps to just brush by when they're teaching here in North America and the United States all of a sudden become important texts. Um, I remember one glaring example of a different kind in which there was a text where John the Baptist addresses soldiers. And basically, he tells them, you know, not to abuse people and to be content with your wage. Well, in North American context, in most North American context, we don't have to worry about the military abusing their authority. Um, we don't hear too much about that. But in the context of Latin America, it can be a given. Mm-hmm. And so the exhortation resonates mm-hmm. in Latin America in a way that oftentimes North Americans don't even think about. So that's the kind of question I'm asking. What what are the outstanding cultural features in different parts of the world that uh, someone pays attention to that they may not be as sensitive to as North Americans? Correct. I, I really think there are two issues. One you've already touched. One you've already touched on, Darrell. One is the issue of poverty, mm-hmm. and also the causes of poverty. Mm-hmm. For example, corruption and wickedness and. Uh, on just our border between the U.S. and Mexico, where the you know Juarez uh, city has had over ten thousand people killed because of drug trafficking and so on. You know, in, in what way are we going to present the comfort of Christ as well as the protection of Christ to them? Mm-hmm. I have friends there who say God has called me to live here, and even though we see a hundred bodies every day on the way from here to church, hmm. we are going to stay here because God has called us to stay here. So poverty and the causes for poverty, uh, not only the passive causes, but the ongoing continuous causes, not only historical causes, but continuing causes are just drastic, they're visceral, uh, you've got to address them. The second area is the plurality, plurality of, of uh, religious options, mm-hmm. uh, this, just sociological pluralism. And uh, historically, evangelicals have been good at addressing the uniqueness of Christ, but not the poverty issues. And those who are non-evangelicals or uh, other appellations used for them, they're very good at addressing uh, systemic poverty issues, but not the uniqueness of Christ issues. Hmm. Somewhere there needs to be a comprehensive uh, theology of society, a theology of social action, without confusing it with evangelism and the gospel, because uh, while the content of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus is the only Savior of the world. The scope of the gospel affects uh, the existence of, th- of the church in a particular locality, mm-hmm. which takes into account issues like crime and, and justice issues and, and other deprivation. 
Our daughter, for example, now lives in Malawi. Malawi, till recently, was the highest misery index in the world. Hmm. Uh, she works um, at, a, at a school which spends a lot of money on maintaining the lawns with water. But just outside the school, there's no water. Hmm. There's no water to drink. And what kind of uh, a witness is that uh, when there's no water or fuel outside? Mm-hmm. But because uh, this particular school is well endowed, can have water, just you know, water the lawns when mm-hmm. people don't have water to drink or shake a shower. Hmm. Uh, uh, If you came with me to Kolkata, Kolkata used to be called Calcutta before. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows the population of Calcutta. Mm -hmm. It could be uh, 28 million, it could be 16 million, because uh, in the daytime it swells, in the nighttime it goes down. The more people sleeping on the sidewalks of Calcutta than live in Ottawa, the the capital city of Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where is uh, the touch of the gospel there? In the proclamation, we've got to keep the gospel distinct that the Lord Jesus is the only way in order to uh, possess uh, and secure eternal life, not just secure, but but possess eternal life. But the church, which lives in this context, has to have an impact Mm -hmm. on both the polarity of religions around it as well as the economic deprivation. You know, I, uh, I, uh, it's interesting because I look at a curriculum in a, in a Western seminary and I don't see a class, say, on poorology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, uh, we might see an elective on poverty, but and, but we don't see a focused study on the hundreds of passages really in Scripture that address the issue of the poor, God's concern for the poor, issues of justice, that kind of thing. Um, someone who I used to work with who did inner city ministry said to me, you know, there are over 400 such passages in the mm-hmm. Bible. I mean, you mm-hmm. literally could give a, a year's worth of study um, to those kinds of texts. And the idea of dealing with the diversity of, of, um, of options is something and we have talked about this in other podcasts that that one of the ways in which the world has changed significantly in our time versus the time of the Bible is that in the time of the Bible everyone or almost everyone believed in some form of the spirit world some form mm-hmm. of transcendence mm-hmm. that was a that was a given in the ancient world I, I tell people don't think of Rome as being a secular society. They had 150 religious holidays every year mm-hmm. that people were to participate in. But our world's different in that we – at least certain parts of the world are different. Uh, it depends on where you are – in that there are many pockets of our world, particularly the Western world, where the idea of a transcendent – being in a transcendent reality doesn't exist for people. And so the moment you present the Bible that where transcendence is – is the driving force of the entire story, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you've got a problem. You're back to your scale of the minuses. And, that is correct. And and so it makes doing evangelism uh, harder. And so, so in one sense, the world has become, if I can say it, more diverse mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. than it was in the first century, because at least if I address spiritual realities in the first century, almost everyone would at least go there. Yes. Uh, and I think the third phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. We are heavier on the truth Mm -hmm. and perhaps uh, more so on the way than Jesus being the life. Mm -hmm. And when you present the life, no one comes to the Father for the way, the truth, and the life, Mm -hmm. except the the Lord Jesus. The life component in every situation is different. And uh, 
uh, places of the world which are, I'm going to call oral societies or pre-literary societies rather than just voodoo or <laughs> animistic, mm-hmm. uh, they, they uh, uh, hold on to the fact that Jesus is very life to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's, uh, that's obviously a, a significant area of thinking about global engagement. And again, all this reality of what's going on around the world is coming towards us That's in a correct. very real way because our own demographics are changing. We cannot excuse ourselves from uh, what's happening in the rest of the world. It's visibly close, not only in television screens, but next door in our grocery stores, in our markets, in our stadiums. They are right next to us. And I really think in this restructuring of the world, God is giving America uh, an incredible new chance uh, in touching people from around the world who all have connections and contacts with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. They go to their homes frequently. They're calling them on Skype every day. Mm -hmm. And if some uh, change happens as a result of the gospel, it it is a powerful witness for the rest of the world. Well, um, that's helpful, Ramesh. Uh, what What other advice would you give us in terms of thinking about engagement in global terms? Yes, I think um, in the middle of all the crises that the world uh, faces presently, it is possible to become afraid and anxious, and uh, the proverbial ostrich uh, syndrome becomes ours. In other words, a withdrawing and just getting out of everything. Yeah, because it allows us to be a bit more comfortable, uh, even in our ignorance. I don't think that's what the Christian's mission uh, calling us. Mm-hmm. When he said go, he really meant go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we downplay it on the go because we know the imperatives make making disciples, but mm-hmm. there's a going that's implicit there. And that going does not need to be far anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, next door. It's literally next door. In my city where I live, in a suburb of Dallas, 106 languages are spoken in the school district. 106 languages. I don't have to go to 106 countries anymore. Mm-hmm. These guys are right next to me. And they're looking for everything from uh, help in filling out uh, forms for FAFSA to driver's license to help uh, in care when their loved ones come to the United States for a little while. So in a basic hospitality and helps platform, don't stay there, but start there and continue with the gospel. You know, there are several terrific ministries I know uh, working in university campuses dealing with people who come to the United States from overseas trying to connect them to American hosts who will help them transition into their university life, get acclimated to American culture, uh, be taken care of, and have a have have people who who they can know in the culture can help them negotiate that. And having done that myself, you know, having gone to Germany and having to deal with a different mm-hmm. language mm-hmm. and different set of rules for how people live, et cetera, I know how helpful that can be. Yes, and that's sort of a middle section. We also have the very wealthy coming to the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're heads of the corporation. I've got mm-hmm. people coming to saying, I, you know, I have a Brazilian boss. I have a, a Chinese businessman who who's uh, you know, who owns my company, and they're investing from all over the world. So not just at the college level, but the highest uh, social economic strata, and then the poorest levels who are mm-hmm. coming from the Lost Boys of Sudan, for example, or or Ethiopia because of refugee status. I mean, this is the genius of the country. I mean, there are many many aspects of this land that's just absolutely incredible from entrepreneurial zeal to to our philanthropic tradition, but our immigrant platforms 
Mm-hmm. And God has brought something like 12% of the country from all over the world, foreign-born, right here. Well, actually, if you go back far enough, almost all of us, except for the Indians, uh, the, the American Indians are… are I'm glad are, you clarified are, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one original exactly, kind of exactly Indian. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, um, so, so, so there ought to be some sensitivity to the fact that at one level or another, many of us are immigrants. If we go back four generations, I know that's true of my and family. The, and we're just extending what uh, others have extended to us. Uh, global engagement, cultural engagement, I cannot think of a greater application of the gospel right now that's needed. And I'm grateful for both uh, uh, your work, uh, Daryl, and the seminary's vision for you, and I'm grateful for their vision for what they've done in my own life. And I think Dallas Seminary is positioned at a very uh, critical moment, uh, theologically, in uh, higher education, but also in terms of of reaching out to the world. Well, it's our hope that that, that, uh, not only people who are associated with the seminary, but people who identify with the call of being a Christian in general – in interacting and thinking about some of the issues that we raise on the podcast, we'll, we'll come to have a deeper appreciation for what mission means in the church, what God is calling them to do and to be, and in that process, um, uh, maybe uh, reach out with a little more sensitivity and, and to those around them who are different, and in the process, uh, perhaps be that witness and that opportunity that one or perhaps part of a larger story of uh, one among many whom God uses to draw uh, people to himself. And, uh, and, and when we think about global engagement, engaging on a global scale, uh, moving outside our own world, our own, uh, uh, in some cases, our own ethnicity, is, is an important step in being able to, uh, in being able to show uh, the very diversity that God created in the creation when he made many nations. So we're, we're, our hope and prayer is is that uh, is that we will be Christians who reflect uh, that diversity in the healthy sense of the term, in the way God has created it. So thank you, Ramesh, for well, being with us. Well, thank you, Dar. What a great joy! Any time I can assist you and the seminary in any which way, I'm happy to serve. Well, thanks for much. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.